Welcome to the Local CMY Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Tringale. And in this week's episode, I'm sitting down and talking with chef and partner in one of the newer restaurants to hit downtown Syracuse. The name of the restaurant is Eden, and the name of my guest this week is Rich Strube. I'm really happy I was able to sit down and talk with Rich and have him down here at the studio. Um, really, for my own selfish benefit, I was just curious as to kind of his past and restaurants he came from. Um, you know, if you remember from the episode I had with Tim from the Taylor and the Cookout in Utica, Rich used to work out there for a time. I'd heard that Rich worked at Astor for a little bit, and Astor in its heyday was one of my favorite restaurants in Armory Square. Um, and yeah, so just hearing these different bits and pieces, I was really excited to sit down and, to, you know, to be quite honest, most of the conversations that I have with these guests, I'm only thinking about my own selfish reasons and my curiosity behind, uh, you know, who they are and where they're from and all that kind of stuff. So, um, I don't really sit down and think too much about, uh, wow, what would a, what would a potential listener want to hear from this person? Um, and, uh, yeah, so I typically just am selfish in my conversation with them. And one thing that I took away, um, or maybe the strongest point that I took away from my conversation with Rich is that, you know, Rich spent time in like Burlington, Vermont and worked at restaurants there. And Rich talks about, it. I mentioned it to, to him and he says it's passion, which I, you know, agree with. There's just something about it, like talking about food and kitchens and cooking and the restaurant and, you know, things like that with Rich. It just comes across as like this is, you know what I mean? Like it just is life for him. I've talked to other people. I just think about it even like with myself uh, and running the business of Eat Local CNY. For me, this isn't it's not is it's not like just this way of life. Um, but it's something that I'm trying to build. It's something that I'm, you know, trying to make money at, uh, to kind of hit some goal. And for Rich, it just seems like running Eden and being the chef at this restaurant isn't something that he's like, there's not some like hidden goal that he's trying to attain behind it. It's just life. It's just the, you know, it just is. Um, and, but talking about it as though it's, you know, he's so passionate, obviously about food. Um, yeah, it was very, it was a very infectious conversation, uh, to be able to sit down and talk with somebody like that. And so, so grateful that he took the time out of his busy day to come down and chat with us. Um, and yeah, I really think that you're going to going to enjoy it. Uh, one of the more important things is go to Eden and have dinner. Well, our sponsor for this week is Sriracha Q's and, you know, if you've been listening to the podcast for the past few episodes or month or however long, Sriracha Box, Sriracha Q, same company. It's Sriracha Q's Hot Sauce. They've been selling locally uh, produced hot sauces for you know some time here in the Syracuse area uh, and really nationally because they sell all over the place. Um, yeah, but they also have this subscription box and that's where Sriracha box comes in. So it's only available though for a limited time. You can still, you could sign up for a subscription today through srirachabox.com and get hot sauce delivered until the cows come home. But you only have a limited time to actually sign up for that subscription. And so what you should do, if I were you, I would head over to Sriracha box. That's S-Y-R-A-C-H-A-B-O-X.com today and get your hands on a sriracha box subscription 
you can get something delivered. You can get a bottle of hot sauce delivered to your door every single month for less than $20, free shipping. Uh, you can cancel at any time. It's, it's just amazing. If you haven't seen any of the videos that we've been putting out, then you, know, you don't know. But Sriracha Q's hot sauce is delicious. The flavors are awesome. And uh, yeah, I just highly recommend that you do this. So I've also talked about how we're getting it for Christmas gifts for people. Anyways, head over to srirachabox.com today. Get your hands on a monthly hot sauce subscription. I love the stuff. You'll love the stuff. It's wonderful. And you can also head over to srirachacues.com if you just want to get your one bottle. If you want to buy 50 million bottles, whatever it is, srirachabox, S-Y-R-A-C-H-A-B-O-X.com. We've got some stuff coming up tonight, actually, if you're listening to this on Monday, that is. Uh, we're going to be at the Buy Local Bash over at the F Shed put on by Syracuse First, which I believe is still a thing. And uh, Center State CEO, what does Syracuse First do? Can someone tell me that? Uh, besides putting on the Buy Local Bash, I'm just curious. Uh, so we're going to be there tonight slinging the local CMY card. Uh, and then if you're interested in other events... We're also going to be at the uh, night market, Sky Armory Night Market, which is going to be next Saturday. And that's it. That's it for events for us for this year, uh, for this holiday season. Um, yeah. Last year, we only did a few events. This year, I said I was going to like be at every event that I could possibly get at. And then when this time of year came around and I was about to book an event in December, it was a two-weekend thing to sell this card. I was like... No, I think I'm done. I think I just want to do those three that I signed up for, and that's it. Because as much as I do want to build this business, at some point, you just have to say no. And, you know, I'm recording this intro, actually, at 5.30 a.m. The podcast is going to be released here in about 45 minutes. Uh, and I'm doing it right now because yesterday I wanted to stay home all day with my wife and not leave. Even though I still did a lot of work from the house, I just didn't want to leave the house. And sometimes that's okay. So having said that, Night Market's the last event that we're going to be at, but you can always buy your Eat Local CMY card at eatlocalcmy.com or some of the retailers like Abbott Farms or Wildflowers or the Millhouse Market that sell it. Uh, don't forget we have our big holiday Christmas party, whatever you want to call it. It's basically a party that's Christmas-themed. It's going to be at the Evergreen in Hanover Square. Tickets are $40, and for that you get two hours the party is from six to eight so two hour open bar beer and wine finger foods hors d'oeuvres we're gonna just hang out we're gonna have music we're gonna have a good time we're gonna drink a lot and uh we're also gonna have uh a pajama and christmas costume contest so come dress in your favorite christmas pajamas or create a christmas costume because it is december 13th and that's a friday Beep. So Friday the 13th, we're going to be doing this party. You can buy tickets over at eatlocalcny.com. $40 in advance, $45 at the door. Don't miss out. Join us at our Christmas party at the Evergreen. All right, well, without further ado, here is this week's conversation. All right, who are we sitting here with? Uh, my name is Rich Strew. I am the chef and partner in Eden Hospitality in downtown Syracuse. You have a wood-fired kitchen. Yes, we do. What was like? When did you first get the thought of that you like you wanted to start a restaurant that was wood-fired? I think it was late one night. Um, I was up. I, I couldn't sleep, and uh, I drew a picture of the restaurant and how I wanted it to look. 
And I drew a wood-fired grill because there's this restaurant in Portland that I've always wanted to go to, and I haven't been there yet. It's called Four Street. And they have an open kitchen where uh, basically the kitchen is part of the dining room. And they have a wood-fired grill there. So I was like, oh, man, I, I want a wood-fired grill too. Um, and if the sky's the limit, then that's what we'll do. The sky wasn't really the limit. But um, I did a little bit of research, and we found out that we couldn't have a gas-fired range and a wood-fired setup uh, oh, under the really? same hood. Ah. So we decided to just go all wood fired, which wow. has been challenging, but it's also a lot of fun. Yeah. I couldn't get over like, you know, just the farm to fork event last week to see like so many people in such a space. First of all, to see like the lack this, this should maybe hopefully it doesn't sound bad. The lack of equipment was amazing. Like to think that you're producing what you're producing there with like just wood basically, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't know. It just blew me away to like actually take a look back there and see <laughs> that there's not much back there. Yeah. It blows me away too every day. <laughs> um, I, I can't believe what we're pulling off Yeah, uh, on that hearth. Hmm. It's, it's pretty amazing to me. And the way that everybody, all the cooks have um, conformed or, or, or changed their style yeah. to work over wood fire is pretty fantastic and it happened like in an instant you know everybody just i think we cooked over it two days and then everything just clicked really and yeah it's even kind of fun watching like some of the panic moves like when somebody <laughs> doesn't have something ready and they just drop a pan in the fire uh just to get it hot and then wipe it out and, and saute something in it real quick that's awesome it's, yeah it's pretty fantastic yeah i'm sure there's some like it, there are advantages like that you know yeah. to working with fire yeah um, was it hard, was it hard like trying to convince anybody that applied or anything like that, that reached out to like be on the team? Was it hard to convince them or did you have anybody that like saw the concept and was like, nah, I don't know if I want to do that. No. Uh, we got positive responses from everybody that, that came awesome. in. Yeah. It's good. We're doing something so unique for the area. Yeah. And I think anybody that's really interested in being a, a professional chef or professional cook would be interested in what we're doing just because we're, we're sourcing locally from farms, like taking it all the way back to the seed producers. Um, it's a totally new style of cooking for a lot of people. Yeah. And it's a challenge. It's definitely a challenge every day. Oh, for sure. But I think that anybody that's really serious about, about food and cooking would embrace that challenge. Yeah. Right? You know, we all have. So, yeah, you know, it is, it's interesting. Like just the, I mean, there's plenty of like, I don't know. Maybe there's not. There's plenty of people out there that are like cooking in restaurants in Syracuse that are just like, you know, it's a job, right? Yeah. Um, and so it's always interesting to me. I think like my mind has shifted over the last few years of doing this in just being aware of how much talent there is in kitchens all across Syracuse and especially the, like the local surrounding areas. For me to think of like, somebody like Alex or yourself or Nick or Cody, or I'm sure, you know, a list of other people that I can't think of right now to think that there's that much talent in Syracuse, New York, producing the food that's being produced still to this day, like baffles me. Like I'm still surprised at it. It's fantastic. I mean, yeah. the, the community of chefs here is great. Like that farm to fork event, just having all those guys in the kitchen oh, and yeah. there's there, and girls yeah. and, um, having all those folks in the kitchen and that much talent there was fantastic. It was so heartwarming for me personally, just because I consider all those people friends, you know, and there are more people I'd like to bring in that, that we haven't had a chance to reach out yet or they're busy or, yeah. 
Uh, we'd like to do a Sunday dinner series too. Oh, that'd be cool. I'm actually working with a chef from Connecticut that might come up. Oh, nice. Uh, he does all wood fired catering down there. Oh, really? So is that's that, pretty interesting. Is that like a group of people like, you know, that just like really get in? Is there like a whole separate society of people within kitchens across the, you know, America that are like all wood fired? I, I think so. It's a, it's kind of a growing culture. I guess. Uh, there's a guy, James Gopp from Massachusetts. He's fantastic. What he does is, is amazing. Uh, he does like large weddings and stuff like that. Um, this other guy, Dan Sabia from Connecticut is fantastic. I'd like to have some local chefs in. Uh, I'd like to have Jeff and Vince in for Modus. I think that would be fantastic. And if Tim ever wanted to come out and do a dinner too, that would be fantastic too. (laughs) Yeah. I haven't seen Tim in in a while. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I, he was on a couple few weeks ago or a month or however long ago. But, um, yeah, you used to be out there at the Taylor and the Cook, right? Yeah, yeah. I was there for, I think, about eight months. Okay. Um, so kind of give me your progression. Like, are you from here? Or are you are you from Vermont? I was born in Virginia, but I grew okay. up in Vermont. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, so I, I worked in Vermont. I just tried to find the best places to work. Uh, I got my degree in graphic design, went to the city, worked in the city for a minute, decided it wasn't for me. Uh, went back to Vermont, got a job as a sous chef at a restaurant with my best friend from high school. Hmm. And then that place closed and I got a job at Shelburne farm, which is just a beautiful, it's a gorgeous place. Okay. I think it's one of the most beautiful places in the world. Did you have a history in like kitchens or cooking or anything like that before you got that first sous chef job? Yeah. I cooked in bars and pubs during high school. Okay. Uh, my first job was, I was a bagel baker. Oh really? Uh, Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, so that was in high school. Then when I came back and I got the job at Shelburne Farm, I, I got really into it because we would pick the vegetables in the morning and then hmm. cook them at night in oh, the wow. end. And it was just fantastic. I lived on the property too. Oh, so that cool. was like, it, it's just mind-blowing, mind-blowingly beautiful. And uh, it was a lot of fun. So I learned a lot about French cuisine. Uh, and the chef there at the time was from California. So I learned a lot about California cuisine too. And then I left and opened my own restaurant in Lake George. And I didn't, really didn't want to live in New York at that point. So I moved back to Vermont. Okay. Um, went back to Shelburne Farm. And the, chef that, the new chef that had taken over was from New York City. So there was a definite difference in their styles. So I got to pick up a lot from both of them. Uh, then I went to the Pitcher Inn, worked for an amazing uh, chef. Her name's Sue Schickler. Uh, she's since retired. But she was in the kitchen until she was in her 70s. Okay. Just every night on the line, you know. Yeah. Uh, and she cooked her way through Bordeaux. She was like Neil Peart's private chef on his yacht for a while. So I learned a lot of, a lot of French cuisine from her uh, and then got the job at Hen of the Wood. And that was fantastic. Yeah. And I worked for a couple other chefs. Uh, Adam Longworth, who's now in New York City again, uh, was Alpha Portale's sous chef for like 12 years or chef de cuisine for like 12 years. Um, he's super talented. So it was kind of cool going from Hen of the Wood to the common man. Because Hen of the Wood is very like, it's, it's a lot like our style now. Okay. It's very like rustic, farm-based. The common man was more like molecular gastronomy. So I learned a lot of that stuff. Yeah. It's not, I didn't take a whole lot of it with me, but it's, it's in the bag of tricks. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, how did you wind up, how did you get to like Utica? Uh, I was working at Aster, actually. I came okay. here. I, I came. Yes, I ju- <laughs> I, uh, Mason. You know, Mason is, he, he used to be a bartender at Aster. He was at the farm to fork event. Okay. Um, uh, big gauged years. He was kind of sitting up at the top table. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So he used to be at Aster and then, um, and I know him, he's my 
wife's best friend's boyfriend's friend. Okay. So, uh, but anyways, like we'll hang out with him a few times a year and he was there and he was like, yeah, Rich is great, isn't he? And there's like, I was like, yeah. Oh, how do you know Rich? He was like, oh, I used to be at Aster and Rich was there. It's like, I didn't know Rich was at Aster. Yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, I'm tr- I was trying to figure out, we were trying to figure out the timeline of when you were because I, I don't remember that. Well, maybe it was my first year. So four years ago, three and a half years, three years ago, maybe, uh, John was there. He's like the GM. Yeah. John, okay. um, oh, I'm spacing his last name right now. Uh, yeah. John's great. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's, I think he's over in Albany now. Okay. That Aster at that time, which I'm going to assume that you were there. Aster at that time in its history was amazing. I it mean, was, we were putting out really good food for, yeah. for like eight or 10 months. Yeah. And it was my first experience with that. So it was my first experience with like really good food in armory, like in downtown. Okay. Um, and then, so you went from there to Taylor and the Cook? Yeah, so okay. we there was a big management change in Aster, and I kind of felt like the writing was on the wall. Um, and it just so happened that Tim Hardiman had come in for dinner, and he was expecting one of his friends to be the chef there, but his friend had left. So I went out to the table, and I introduced myself, and we chatted for a little while. And uh, it kind of just happened that Tim sent me a Facebook message, like right around the time I saw things were like starting to take a turn. Yeah. Um, so he asked me if I wanted to be the, his chef de cuisine because Vince mm. was leaving to open Modus. Okay. And so I said yes, and I worked mm. there. Yeah, it was about eight months. Wow. Um, it was a long commute. Yeah. So you were living here in Syracuse. I was living here in Syracuse. Yeah, that's a drive for yeah. sure. Yeah, I did that for a job once, and it's not that much fun. It was cool. I mean, I'd listen to podcasts and books yeah. on tape and stuff, but <laughs> after a while, it gets old. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Especially uh, those are some, I'm sure, late nights coming back. Oh, yeah. Working yeah. in the kitchen. Saturday night, I'd get out of there at like two o'clock. <laughs> I would get home at four and like yeah. still be answering emails and stuff. So, <laughs> yeah. So what? So after you left uh, Taylor and the, Taylor and the Cook, were you cooking anywhere, or did you? Is that when you started kind of the process of Eden? It's when we started the process of Eden. Okay. So my I had met my business partners about a year prior to that. Uh, I was introduced to them by Heather from the downtown committee. Because uh, we were walking around downtown one day, and I was like, if I was going to open a restaurant, I would open it in Hanover. It's a beautiful, beautiful spot. So she said, oh, the people that own this building are actually looking for somebody hmm. to rent it out. And they, I think they would really dig a farm-to-table restaurant. Hmm. So I said, all right. So we met. And uh, they're, they're fantastic people. Their names are Adam and Eve. That's why yeah. the place is called Eden. I know. Mark has told me that story before. Yeah, yeah that's that's hilarious. Yeah, that was that was my idea. It wasn't there. <laughs> oh, was it really? Okay, <laughs> yeah. all right. That makes them see. Yeah, because when you first hear like this uh, husband and wife named Adam and Eve who opened a restaurant named Eden, your first thought is like, okay, you kind of get a picture in your head of who those people might be. But that makes that that seems a lot better that you gave it that. Yeah, name. no, it, it was my. It all seemed to make sense because like you know the apples and New York State fruit. Yeah, and, like, it, it all it all kind of made sense to me, and I I wanted to put a garden in there. We're still working on that. Really, we're we're having trouble growing stuff in there, but yeah, um, we're hmm. we're working towards it. Yeah, that's um, awesome. Huh. So, so I met them, um, and then I went to work at the Taylor and the Cook, and I sent them an email like eight months later. And because I'd heard that they were like working with the down or working with the city to uh, get the place rezoned and, and get it up to snuff. It had been a bar previously and it was 
closer at, I think, 10 or 12 years. So I sent them an email, and they, they responded, and they said, hey, we're actually coming to the Taylor and the Cook for dinner tonight. It was Eve's birthday. So they came in, and they had dinner, and they, at the end of the dinner, they said, if you want to open a restaurant in Syracuse, we'll back you. <laughs> so I was blown away, Yeah. Uh, and I left the Taylor and the Cook shortly after that, and wow. we started working on the project. Wow. So. What motivated you, because uh, for a lot of people who you know, don't know or weren't following you on Instagram, you built what, like everything that's in there or most of it? or A lot of it. Um, yeah. It's a 130-year-old building. It was the first steel building in Syracuse. Hmm. So when we were going over the design of it, we decided to use a lot of steel in the design. Okay. So I had to learn to weld to put all that together. <laughs> uh, luckily, I had some, a friend that's a, a welder, yeah. and he kind of showed me the ropes. Um, and I watched a lot of YouTube videos and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, we gutted. I took 28 tons of stuff out of there. Wow. Uh, so there was like five layers of walls. There was, um, five layers of flooring cause it's a 130 year old oh, building. It'd yeah. been renovated a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, and downstairs, like the utilities were just like a rat's nest of like yeah. pipes and, and wires and whatever. Oh. So we cleaned all that out. Wow. Um, and I reused some of the flooring, like the front of the bar and the mm-hmm. front of the pass is the original hardwood flooring from the building. Oh, wow. That's so. cool. I tried to use what I reuse what I could. Yeah. But hmm. a lot of it was just like junk. Yeah. Crumbled right. up concrete and <laughs> yeah. I was yeah. covered in concrete dust for like a year and a half. <laughs> what motivated that decision though? Was it like trying to just keep expenses down? Was it just kind of like wanting to be that involved with everything? It was trying to keep expenses down. Okay. Um yeah. and it also you know, I got to design everything kind of as we went. Uh, we didn't have a real solid idea of what the space was going to look like until we actually built it. And then we all agreed that, you know, it looked cool. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we kept it. There was a lot of stuff that I built and then cut out too. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's. It, I mean, to think that somebody put in that much effort into uh, building it is pretty wild. Yeah. It's, and it's still an ongoing process. Like I just, two weeks ago, I just welded a rail behind the bar so we could put bar mats on it. Uh, we'll probably be building a, um, well, I'll be building a wine rack at some point, uh, cause we're expanding our wine program yeah. pretty substantially okay. lately. So, yeah. Yeah. Who, I mean, I'm trying to think, well, I guess there's, I just had Caitlin, actually her podcast came out today, Caitlin from the Brewster Inn and they have a pretty intense, uh, wine program out there. And I was just trying to think of like who has a, a pretty substantial wine program in Syracuse, but I guess you've got like Defi and Citronelle and stuff like that. And Jared, I mean, yeah, uh, Saint Urban. He's yeah, he's true. doing. He has a great wine program. I haven't been. That's there a yet. great restaurant too. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, I haven't been yet. It's um, uh, yeah. I need to get up there for sure. Yeah. Um, it is. It's hard. That's one of the hardest things I think for me is like not just going to. It's realizing I'm trying to like uh, tell people about all the places because for me, I just I'm a creature of habit. So like I'll hit Kasai a lot for lunch just because I know I can like get in there and out the you know in and out pretty quickly and it's easy parking you know for that part of Armory and um, so I'm like trying to be pretty intentional about getting to different places right now. There's a lot going on here. There's that new Cuban restaurant that opened up too on I think it's a Burnett. I really want to get in there. What's the name of it? Uh, Esquan. Oh Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, it opened a couple weeks ago. Esquina, Esquina Havana, maybe. 
Is that it? Yeah, it might be. I forget the name of it, but I remember seeing somebody post about it. Yeah, my friend went there a couple, like three or four days ago, and she said it was fantastic. Really? So, yeah, I want to check it out. Yeah. That's the hardest thing for me is like finding, um, and maybe just because I'm, uh, in some cases, I'm pretty cynical of a lot of other people, uh, but, <laughs> um, uh, or critical, but um, whenever I see like, a type of cuisine, you know, like Mexican, for example, if I see Mexican, it just drives me crazy around here. I'm like, this isn't Mexican. You don't know what Mexican is. You know what I mean? But, uh, I also realize that I'm kind of a, a jerk in that way. So I need to like be a little bit more accepting of, you know, people when they throw their stuff on it. But, um, I also have never been to Cuba, so I don't know what authentic Cuban food is. Yeah. I, I dated a Cuban girl for like four years. It was fantastic. <laughs> we ate, <laughs> we ate a lot of great Cuban food. That's um, awesome. yeah. but, I'm excited to see that spot opening. And and yeah. a lot of like the little, like there's a lot of cool ethnic stuff going on here. Like yeah. Habiba's Kitchen. Yeah. That place is fantastic. Yeah. I can't eat there anymore because I gorge myself on the injera <laughs> and like I always feel uncomfortable <laughs> afterwards. But, uh, and yeah. I can't help it. I just yeah. like, it's so good, you know? Yeah. We've been on a uh, like Indian kick lately, especially for takeout, like getting it back at the house. Um, and you know, there's just something about that. Like there are some pretty good, I mean, again, I've never been to India, but there's good Indian food restaurants yeah. around town for sure. Um, and you know, I feel like I just did a thing at Carmelita's, uh, like a little promo video on Saturday. And I feel like I'm going to go get back into a Mexican kick. Cause that's, so that's kind of what I do. Like I'll jump on like Mexican forever. I was, and then maybe Chinese or whatever. Okay. And a lot of it's that involves me cooking it at home. So like, I think poor Rebecca, we did like a month and a half or two months of me just cooking like a different Asian thing every single night at the house. Right on. Um, and most of it was really just like involved a bowl of white rice and something on top of it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so then it got old and now it's been soup. Uh, but you know, <laughs> usually around like the springtime, I start to go through like a Mexican kick and okay. Like it's kind of fun. It's labor intensive, but it's fun. So one of the only other totally wood fired restaurants that I know of is in Chicago. It's called Lena Brava. Okay. And it's one of Rick Bayless's places. All right. And we ate there and that was phenomenal. Really? That yeah. That hmm. it was before like it was kind of when we were getting ready to to do the plans for Eden. Yeah. And uh the food there was so good. I was just so jazzed when I came back from Chicago <laughs> that like you could cook that kind of food over wood fire. Yeah. Like the beets that, that we had there were just incredible. Huh. Um yeah. I think our beets hold up to those. I hope so. But uh <laughs> yeah, there it was just incredible to experience that. Right. I mean my only experience with like wood fired is the uh chef's table episode on Netflix with uh Francis Malman. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And I've watched that like a hundred times and um you know rebecca there's like i watch that episode and i have like this emotional experience you know i immediately want to go put on like a weird hat and run into the mountains and, <laughs> you know start you know fishing and cooking that fish over fire and, and a friend of mine we would watch that and then talk about like digging a pit in his backyard and you know burying food under there and cooking it you know over embers or whatever. It's it's so interesting the way that different cultures use wood fire too. Yeah. Um, I've done a little bit of research on it. There's still way more to do. Mm -hmm. But uh, just, you know, we tried some stuff out with like um, Riscaldo. Okay. Uh, it's like when you cook in the ashes of a fire. Mm -hmm. 
So you let the ashes burn down to like nothing. Mm-hmm. So they're just like white ash and, and there's like traditional breads that, mm-hmm. that people make in those. Um, and vegetables too. Vegetables come out really well like that. Is that burying it like underneath the embers or you, the ashes? It's just burying it in the ashes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And it's just warm enough that it cooks the vegetables, but it does like over a very slow, hmm. a, a very slow timeline. Yeah. Uh, I really want to make gnocchi and oh. with, using that yeah. technique, hmm. but I haven't had a chance to do it yet. Yeah. Would you have to do anything different to the dough to make it stand up or would it hold up by itself? It would probably, I mean, eggs and flour, yeah. it, would, it would hold it together. Uh, I just think the ashes would dry the potatoes out. And that's yeah. really what you're looking for when you're making a good gnocchi. Yeah. It's just to dry, like you want to cook the potatoes fast so they steam and all the water comes out of them. Yeah. I've seen, I've tried the, um, I've tried gnocchi a few different ways at home. And I've tried, you know, boiling and then roasting the potatoes. I've tried like covering them in salt. I've tried, you know, cooking them and let them sit in like the fridge overnight or on the counter or using them so many different ways. I've tried it without any eggs, uh, and just, um, uh, granite panado cheese and like nutmeg and just trying to get a bind that way. And I have to say using the, um, I guess it it depends on the time of year, but the using like a little bit of nutmeg and that cheese in it to bind it together has been my favorite way. All right. Um, and it's like the most painful, but it's also the best I've gotten out of the potato is to, um, uh, boil them and then pretty much use it right away. That, yeah, that's, that's the way to do it. Yeah. So I worked for one of the chefs I worked for at Shelburne farm. He worked under Todd English Okay. and hmm. this guy made gnocchi. It was amazing. Hmm. Like you, as soon as it hit your tongue, it just dissolved. Hmm. It was incredible. I've never, I've never experienced gnocchi <laughs> like that since. And I, yeah. I made it with him a few times and I can't get it as good as like, I can't get it to do what he got it to do. <laughs> and I've, I've played around with it a bunch, like tried to dial the flower back as much as possible, but yeah. it was one day, one day yeah. I'll hit the mark again. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, it's incredible. It's an incredible experience when that, when that happens, when like the starches hit your tongue and like uh, your saliva dissolves starch. Yeah. So like it immediately just <laughs> like melts in your mouth. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Is it hard to kind of get away from being like uh, meat and root vegetable focused? Because I feel like in like cooking uh, with open flame, that's probably most like you think your first thought is like this really hearty kind of heavy meal. Yeah. You know, I think that I think that's the perception of the restaurant. I get a lot of Facebook and email messages that that people ask if we have vegan options. And yeah, we do. Yeah. Uh, We actually had the line set up. So like part of the line is all meat and part of the line is all vegetables. Oh, so wow. if you get vegetables from our restaurant, they never were actually on a grill that has touched meat. Oh, that's cool. Um, and I, I feel like we're pretty vegetable forward. Yeah. I know people, I would get a lot of great compliments on like the carrots under the steak and, yeah. and the potatoes and stuff like that. Um, yeah. and we, we do a lot of work to source interesting and mm-hmm. local vegetables. Yeah. Um, so as far back as like the seed that we get from row <laughs> seven seeds and, um, you know, all that's really interesting and important to me. Yeah. Cause I think any serious conversation about food is a conversation about ecology. Yes. So like how we're using, how we're using our resources to feed people mm-hmm. is just as important as what's on the plate. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I feel like whenever you, whenever you get a high focus for local, you kind of, I mean, most of it is going to be produce. It's going to be vegetables. It's going to be fruits depending on the area. Right. It's yeah. not always, it's not really going to be a, heavy conversation about animals. 
you know, or meat or anything. And it's tough to source animals here. It's, yeah. it's tough to source protein here because there aren't farms that are big enough mm-hmm. for what we're doing. Um, yeah. we, we struggle a lot with like, I just bought Susie Jones out of chickens. I just <laughs> bought Barry out of quail. So we're, we're struggling to find new, new farmers to, to work with because right. we go through so much. What do you think? Is there an, was there a solution for that? Is it finding a big enough farmer that can do things like, um, sustainably and ethically, or is it just that kind of the dietary, like the consumption of the population has to change? I mean, ecologically, the consumption of the population has to change. Yeah. Uh, there was this research, uh, study that was done at Cornell a few years ago. Uh, this doctor figured out that if we all ate a vegetable based diet in New York, we could source 80, 86% of or is either 84 86% of all the food that we consume locally. But there's a, there's a different conversion ratio there when you're talking about animals, because animals take like six times the amount of calories to, to provide you one calorie. So a vegetable based diet is important ecologically. Um, I love meat. So I, I try to kind of limit how much I eat, but I also taste a lot of meat over the course of <clears throat> over the course of uh, the evening. Because yeah, sure. I taste everything that goes on the plates. So if somebody, if somebody says that something isn't to their liking, you know, I, I can understand that, but I also know that it's what we intended, so. You know, it's hard today because like, especially in the world of like promoting yourself and your restaurant and social media, the internet in general, um, for at, at least from like, my perspective, it's difficult to put something out there um, that's not appealing to the masses and that's more like artistic because I would consider what you're doing to be more of like an artistic expression. Well, thanks. Yeah. Um, and uh, I've argued that, well, I didn't argue that. Cody and I talked about that on the podcast. You know, he, I view it, what they do, what great talented chefs do is an art form. I can't do that. I also can't paint or draw, you know, um, uh, I usually, I show people like last year's eat local card. It looks like a toddler did it and I did it <laughs> versus this year's where I hired an artist. Um, and Cody views it as a craft, you know? So, um, is it challenging to like not appeal to the masses or is it challenging to try and shift what you're cooking and kind of what you're thinking about what great food is to the masses so that way you can get enough people in the door? I mean, What's your mindset with that? Um, I never really thought about it like that. Okay. Uh, my focus has just been on putting out, out what I think is outstanding food. Yeah. Um, we have a small restaurant. So we're not really trying to appeal to the masses, I guess. Okay. We're trying to appeal to between 40 and 80 people a night. Yeah. Uh, and I think, the, <laughs> I think the message and, and what we're doing is really... It, it appeals to some people to the point where they want to come back night after night, yeah. which is really su- it's surprising and I'm really grateful for it. But mm-hmm. I, I see people come in like they'll come in one night with like their daughter mm-hmm. and then they'll come in the next night with their wife. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I, I never go out to eat at fine dining. What well, we are kind of a fine dining restaurant. Yeah. I never go out to eat at a fine dining restaurant or, or a restaurant as expensive as we are two nights in a row because mm-hmm. I just I, I can't afford it. Yeah. But it's it's awesome to me to see that happening like multiple nights in a row. I think we had, uh, uh, Kate May 
one of the representatives from Madison County. Yeah. I think she was in there three nights in a row. Oh, wow. So that's, that's fantastic. You yeah. know, and she brought like the secretary of agriculture from New York state in and, and a <laughs> bunch of other friends. So it's, it's fantastic that the word's getting out there. People, people are taking other folks in to say like, Hey, you got to experience this. Yeah. But I, I never really considered like putting a burger on the menu or like <laughs> appealing to people that, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't want that because it's not what we're doing. Yeah. You know, we're, we're small enough that we can do pretty much what we want to do Yeah, and hopefully fill the seats. Yeah. And I think the quality of the food that we're putting out is pretty fantastic too. Like the team that we have is, uh, they're incredible. Mm -hmm. I, I am not in in the kitchen as much as I'd like to be, but like Connor and Brett and, and Phil, they really, they, they crush it every night. Hmm. So what's been the, uh, what's been like one of the biggest challenges since you opened? I would say the biggest challenge is delegating. Yeah. That's something as a new business owner, I need to learn more about. Just cause you don't, cause it's hard to do it or like, um, like you just want to kind of get in there and do it all yourself. Yeah. It's difficult to know that it was done right. And that, and that I would be happy with it. Um, yeah. you know, I, I trust the team in the kitchen at this point yeah. and I trust our wait staff too, but hmm. delegating off like the other small tasks that like, you know, probably could be done by somebody else, but yeah. I just take them on. Yeah. That's, that's the difficult part of it. And like finding that balance of work and life. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get that completely. I, we hired somebody for uh, eat local, um, Amanda, she's just plans events. Okay. So every quarter we want to do three events. We want to do an educational event, which is like the NOFA thing. We want to do a party, which we're doing a big, uh, Christmas holiday party at actually the evergreen next month. Oh, cool. And then the third one, we just want to do something, you know, it could be the dinner. It could be like a combination of like a party, educational, whatever. Um, but it's really hard for me to turn things over to Amanda. Um, and she's part time. She does a great job, but like for NOFA, we have buried acorn that was like, Hey, we'll give everybody that's coming a free beer. And, um, I was like, great. So I email Amanda, Hey, tell Tim that we need, you know, a case of beer and I'll pick it up Wednesday at four on my way over there. And, you know, she writes back and I already told Tim and don't worry about it. I'm picking it up Tuesday, you know, so right on. it's really hard for me to kind of turn that stuff over. It's know? difficult. You know, when it, when it's yours and you have, like, we have a lot of money on the line. Yeah. I just, we, we spent three times more than I wanted to on this restaurant. Hmm. Initially I thought when we, when we first talked about doing it, I was like, yeah, give me a 12 burner range. It'll just be me in the kitchen. I can cook for everybody. <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, like, I'll take on those challenges and, and yeah. then get it in over my head and then figure a way out. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been interesting to try and delegate stuff off and, and trust people yeah. to hmm. accomplish the job the way that you would want it done. Yeah. Um, I, and I, I'm really blessed with, with Connor and Brett and Phil yeah. uh, and the front of the house too. They pretty much manage themselves. Mm-hmm which is fantastic. We have, we have a couple of great servers, so hmm. I'm excited about that. Yeah. And our new hire, uh, our bartender, Andy okay. is doing some really cool stuff that I, hmm. I don't know much about bartending. Yeah. To be really honest. Like I came up with our initial cocktail menu, Okay. but I, what Andy is doing with like fat washed bourbons and hmm. like he's making mole bitters and like all, hmm. all kinds of really interesting stuff. Yeah. I'm super excited about it. Yeah. I, I want to get more into cocktails and just even just wine and spirits in general because I don't know enough about it. Yeah, I, I didn't either. Yeah. And I'm, I'm learning every day. Yeah. Uh, and there's some really cool New York spirits out there that we're, yeah. we're just kind of like 
picking up like that St. Agrestus Amaro. Mm. Like that's interesting. I yeah. had no idea people were making Amaro in New York. Yeah. But it's it's pretty interesting and and he's been doing a lot of cool stuff with that too. Yeah. So yeah, I love the one of my favorite bourbons ever is it's called Oki. OKI. Okay. And it's proud of, I bought it at a in a hotel lobby in uh Covington, Kentucky. And uh so there's like the Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana, the tri-state area right there. Yep. And uh so this company made this bourbon, best bourbon I've ever had until I got this stuff at Last Shot that they do right in Skinny Atlas and that bourbon right there is freaking amazing. I tasted some of their stuff at um who was it that did that event? It was a New York Spirit and Cocktail event okay. at the at the Canal Museum. Oh, okay. Uh, it was a food writer for mm. for Syracuse.com for for a while. There, uh, oh, for a while. Uh, Terry Weaver just was, and then she was down last year. Before Terry, Yolanda. Um, no, mm. it's a guy. Uh, why am I spacing his name right now? Uh, Jared. Jared Preventi, he wrote an awesome article about us. Did That's, he? Yeah. I, yeah. Was, I was really excited to see that. Yeah. I don't think I saw that one. He was, yeah. I, I put it up on Facebook. He was, okay. he was jazzed about the place. That's, That's, cool. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, it'll come to me. His name will come to me. But he, did, he, did, he wrote a book. Okay. Um, Spirits, and Spirits oh, of Don. New York. Don. Don yeah. Kazantair, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So we went to, I went to go see um, an interview with him or, or a okay. talk with him. Yeah. And uh, picked up the book, and we just, we tried some of the last shot, and I mm-hmm. think Old Home might have been there as well. Oh, right. Yeah, old Aaron and Adam were there too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they do some cool stuff too. Yeah, they're awesome. We actually we have a really good relationship with them. I think we buy more of their liquor than anybody else. Really? Yeah, because it's like our well. Okay. Um, yeah. So we have a great relationship with them, and they actually bring their gin botanicals after they've after they've done their distillation mm-hmm. they can't reuse the botanical so they bring them into us and we brine stuff in them <laughs> which is pretty cool yeah that's like awesome. pork and chicken yeah uh, i'm hoping to get hudson valley duck on the menu here pretty oh, soon too cool. yeah so how do you view i mean bringing up like don and jared and the post standard how do you view like the role of um i don't know i don't want to call it straight reviewers but or critics or anything like that but just kind of like that whole world of promotion and all that kind of stuff for restaurants. I mean, do you put a whole heck of a lot of weight behind some of the stuff that you get? You know, at the end of the day, if we're happy with the food we're putting out mm-hmm. and I can fill that place with people I consider friends, yeah. that's success. For yeah. me. Um, I love it that Jared came in and had a fantastic time yeah. and wants to tell people about it. Mm-hmm. And that's how, some of the restaurants that I worked at in Vermont that were nominated for James Beard Awards, that's how they got there was Mark Bittman came up to Vermont and he wrote a story about five new uh, Vermont restaurants hmm. and they all got nominated for James Beard Awards the following oh, wow. year. And then Hen of the Wood continually got nominated, mm-hmm. um, hmm. which is pretty fantastic. Yeah. But so, so I understand like there's, there's some weight behind it. Yeah. Um, and I appreciate that. Uh, but at the end of the day, we're just doing what we do, <laughs> you know? Uh, and we run the kitchen kind of like, like one of my favorite bands is Fish. Okay. We run the we run the kitchen kind of like Fish runs a concert. Like we have <laughs> our menu is the set list and we just we just do whatever we're going to do that night and it's yeah. you know it's usually a one off. It changes nightly. Yeah. Uh, just depending on what we have. Right. And what cool ideas we have. So like we we get there between 9 and 11 in the morning. Okay. And we write the menu at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Oh wow. So it's mm. all day long we're thinking about it and we're you know mm. we're reconsidering what we're doing and then at yeah. 4 o'clock it's like okay 
this is what we have set up. This mm. is what we're going to go with for tonight. And mm. then between four and five, every day is a scramble. Mm. But I get the menus printed out and <laughs> we get them on the table, hopefully by five o'clock. <laughs> and uh, it's a lot of fun because yeah. it is always changing. There's always new ideas. And mm. it's, it's great, like Connor especially. Um, mm. He's always got something new that he wants to try out. That's cool. And we really like jive in a culinary sense too. We, mm. we, we kind of understand each other That's cool. and, and the thought process behind what we're doing. Yeah. Um, we're doing some more fermented stuff now, which oh, has nice. been a lot of fun. Yeah. That's gotta be one <clears> of the most <throat> important things I think in that, in a restaurant like yours is, is that ability to kind of like get one another. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, F- Phil too, Phil has been taking over desserts lately mm-hmm. and he's, he's, on it too like he's come come up with a couple come up with a couple of things that were like kind of out of left field um but he's that kind of guy he's like perfectly awkward yeah um so and then we just like bring it into what we're doing yeah um but he's like the desserts he's been putting out are fantastic too yeah so what drives you with the restaurant i mean like is there a, a goal or like, is there some certain, I mean, I know it's early, so it's kind of hard to say like, you know, what's your, what are you, what are you going to consider success? But I guess, well, I guess you kind of already answered that kind of your, your goal is just to put out good food that you like, then fill the restaurant with people that you enjoy. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, places in Vermont that I've worked at, like mm-hmm. I worked at a cafe, it was like a cafe and movie theater mm-hmm. and I could look up at any time of night and everybody that was in the cafe was a friend or I knew them or, you know, we had some kind of history together. So that was kind of cool. Hmm. Uh, And the same thing with like how we were, how we were sourcing stuff. Mm -hmm. When I took that cafe over, we were buying mostly from Cisco. Okay. And we got to the point where I would take a 15 mile bike ride every day, visit two farms Hmm. and then get to work. And the farmers would have dropped off off all the produce. So we really went like, we made a big switch from, from Cisco to actually locally sourced food yeah. and people responded to that in a really positive way. So one thing I get from a lot of restaurant owners that do that, that are like buying from a commercial produce, like a Cisco or mains or whatever it is. And I, you know, I, one thing that I always get from pushback is that it's going to be so much more expensive to go local with your ingredients. It is. And it it's is. a lot more work. Yeah. You know? I, I know it's a lot more work. But dollar for dollar, is it that much more? Or does it vary depending it's on what you're a, getting? A little bit. I mean, with yeah. the proteins, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Um, if you're buying beef from Iowa, and we're guilty of that to yeah. a certain extent because we can't find a beef farmer. Like, mm-hmm. we use as much Lucky 7 beef as we can. Yeah. But Steve hasn't been able to keep up with us. Yeah. So, you know, we have to buy in some beef from Iowa because mm-hmm. we have to have steak on the menu. It's, yeah. our, it's like 20% of our revenue is steak. Oh, wow. Um, but we try as much as we can. We buy in stuff from Lucky Seven Farms, mm-hmm. trying to get a hold of Patrick Kilcoin to get him out here too. Mm. Um, but that's been kind of a we've been playing phone tag for a couple months now. Yeah. Um, so we're trying to get a locally sourced beef, but yes, it's less expensive to buy stuff, commodity yeah. proteins. Yeah. Um, it would be way less expensive to buy commodity chicken, but we chose to buy from Peter and Susie because mm. they're awesome people. Yeah. You know. One of the best quotes I've ever heard was uh, Eric from Hen of the Wood was, was said, you know, I buy food from people that I know and that work as hard as I do. Hmm. And that, that resonated with me, yeah. you know? Hmm. Yeah, that's wild. It's, um, it is kind of crazy. I mean, even, well, like, I mean, obviously it's a hell of a lot different in the grocery store, but 
I can't get over how expensive beef has gotten. I feel like it's just skyrocketed. It's pricey. Yeah, it's nuts. Um, I've I've watched, uh, I've mentioned a few times, but just like different documentaries I've watched, or it really all started with like Dan Barber's Third Plate and kind of shifted some of my thinking and then just getting into some different mainstream stuff. Um, but I've really tried to be aware of like, doing my best to not eat chicken, commercially produced chicken or pork. And it is hard for beef. I mean, there's CBG farm up, you know, on Onondaga Hill, and we've bought some stuff there. Um, but you do kind of have to buy a lot. And so for Rebecca and I, it's a little challenging, but to kind of plan out that much. Um, but I just know that a lot of the protein that's being like chickens and, you know, pig, pork and all that kind of stuff, there's just a lot of trash in that when you get it oh, commercial. absolutely. If you've ever, you know, I was lucky enough when I was 26, mm-hmm. I drove across the country okay. and we visited a bunch of national parks and monuments, hmm. but we drove by a cattle farm in Texas, man, you could smell it for oh, miles and miles yeah, away. Sure, yeah. And I, I would prefer not to buy beef from those kinds of places. Yeah. Um, you know, cause the cows aren't healthy. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure it's not healthy to put it in your body. Yeah. So we, we shoot for local when we can. Yeah. That's the one, that's the one thing we can't source locally or sustainably. Yeah. You know, the fish is all sustainably sourced. Yeah. Which is pretty fantastic. Where do you get it from again? Is it the... Veta La Palma. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Dan Barber gave a TED talk on that. It's really interesting the way they yeah. like judge the health of the fish farm by the flamingos that fly back and yeah, forth right. like 250 miles yeah. every day. <laughs> um, and the, the third plate, that was a fantastic book. Yeah. There's really a was. lot in there. I know. It took <clears> me like, I bought it on like, I had like uh, Audible and I had one of those subscriptions for it for like six months. And I never used any of like each month you get a free book and I never used it. And then when I canceled it, I had like eight books that I had to get. And so I got like, yes, chef and you know, a bunch of like just some of the stuff like that. But then I got Dan Barber's third plate and I only got it cause I remember seeing the Netflix episode with him. And, um, uh, yeah, it took me like two weeks to listen to it. I had to like keep stopping and like going back and listening to it. Cause there's so much in there i mean that thing is just that's a pretty intense book it's yeah it's loaded with information yeah and so dan it's funny before dan barber opened stone barns mm-hmm. um that place i was working at in vermont yeah uh we closed for the winter okay. so the chef would go to new york city hmm. so jeff our chef went to blue hill and worked at blue hill oh wow and then um dan came back up with jeff and saw Shelburne Farm, and he was like, we need something like this in the Hudson Valley. <laughs> and so he probably already had that idea, yeah. you know, before that. But I think he saw, you know, this sustainable farm in Vermont. He's like, wow, this is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And he got a bunch of Rockefeller money behind him and opened stone barns. <laughs> so it's like I understood a lot of what he was saying in that because, I, you know, from the age of 20, mm-hmm. uh, I, was, I was working in that field and in that vein. And I really appreciate what he did for the culinary scene. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of chefs that went out there, like Fernand Adria, that like went out there and just like tried to figure out the best way to cook a mushroom and like would you use a bunch of different chemicals or, mm-hmm. or you know, food additives. Hmm. Dan was like, no, man, if we have all this science, why don't we just breed the perfect pig? Yeah. Like, and that makes more sense to me than trying to like add agar to something to thicken it. Yeah. You know, sure. just create, create the perfect product mm-hmm. and then you don't have to do too much to it. 
Yeah. And that's what we do in the restaurant. We, we find good products. We don't do too much. We can't do too much to it. We're cooking yeah. over a campfire. Yeah. So like, you know, there's, there's only so much we can do to, to yeah. change the flavor of something or to, or to manipulate it, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. before it becomes something totally different. And that's not what we want. Yeah. It takes a lot of care to take a natural product like that and not ruin it. Like that's true. to keep it simple enough to bring out the flavor, like the real flavor in it, but to also not, uh, just to not ruin it. There's some, some chefs I've, you know, it's, there's not a whole hell of a lot there and it's local, but it just, it's the flavor doesn't exist in the dish. And that's one thing, um, you know, that night that I came in for dinner and I put on Instagram, those are the best fucking potatoes I've ever had in my life. <laughs> Thanks. I don't know what the hell you did. <clears throat> don't tell me either. But <laughs> it was the best potato I've ever had in my entire life. Yeah, it, we don't do too much to it. Yeah. Uh, well, don't tell me again because yeah. I don't want to see. I don't want to, you know. <laughs> but I'm not kidding. It's just in, yeah, and, it, you know, it, you can run into, you. well, I guess you just, you just have to take a lot of care over stuff like that. And yeah. that's the important part is just yeah. don't screw it up. Yeah. Like it's all there. You know, right. all those flavors are there. When you, well, the carrots that we get from Common Thread Farm, mm-hmm. they're delicious the way they are. Yeah. Just don't screw them up. Right. That's, <laughs> yeah. That's 90% of it. You know, mm-hmm. don't burn them. Yeah. I think of, you know, one of the things I'm getting is like, is I'm listening to you talk is, and especially knowing you come from, you know, you were in Vermont. Um, because Vermont's like this, you know, hippie oasis, right? So, um, I, you know, I just, I feel like you're the type of person that can't be sold. And I mean that in a good way. But what I mean is like, um, I would look at maybe not all the restaurants around here, but uh, definitely not all of them. But I would look at a lot of restaurants and like, just think of like the business of that restaurant. And listening to you talk and just, you know, whatever, I just, I feel like for you, it's maybe not necessarily a business. Like, obviously, I'm sure it is. You're paying the bills and running everything. It is, yeah. And, you know, saying that you're not in the kitchen as much as you are, obviously, you're you're putting a hell of a lot of time into that. But I just kind of get the overall feeling that it, like, there's just more to it than the business of a restaurant for you. It's deeper. You know, it's a passion. Yeah. Um, At the end of the day, it's... It's my passion. Yeah. So I can't imagine doing anything else. Mm-hmm. Some days I, I try and imagine doing something else because it's the, <laughs> you know, 16 hour days, six days a week. And like, yeah. you're always pushing and, and even just like the, it's funny how there'll be nothing going on for a very long period of time. And then all, all of a sudden it's like, <laughs> we get five cords of wood, a health inspection and you know, somebody wants to come in early for dinner yeah. and it all just happens at once. So you try and prepare for those things by just working longer days. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it all works out. Yeah. Um, hmm. But yeah, it's really, it's really just passion. And I'm lucky to be surrounded by such passionate people. Yeah. You know, like all five of those chefs that were at the, or four other chefs that were at the um, yeah. front of fork dinner, all really passionate people. They're yeah. passionate about their craft. Yeah. Um, you know, Jared up on the hill again, mm-hmm. passionately, you know, Nick and Nick and Cody, yeah. what they're doing. And it's, it's really interesting to me that we have these. So there's three restaurants in Syracuse that I think are like, like pushing that boundary yeah. that, are, that are, that could like possibly be recognized on a national level. Okay. And Jared is doing 
French, modern French cuisine. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. It's not something that I, it's not my style. Yeah. And then Cody is doing modern American cuisine. Right. And then we're doing something very rustic. Yeah. And I think having those three, those three options for like a finer dining and you know, there's citronelle yeah. and what Kasai, what Kyle's doing at Kasai. Like yeah. I wouldn't really consider a fine dining cause it's ramen noodles, no, yeah. but it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. So to see, to see all that coming up, uh, at the same time right. is it's really beautiful for our food scene. Yeah. And Alex at Amano. And Alex at Amano. Yeah. yeah. I, I yeah. couldn't forget him, but yeah. Um, yeah, it really is amazing. Um, yeah. it truly is. You know, I, I don't know why, and, you know, I think I just need to be more appreciative, I guess. Like, I wouldn't have thrown citronelle in that mix. I would, I would yeah. but, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, you, Diffie, St. Urban, um, Amano, Kasai, there really is just, it's amazing the, the, the talent of food, the quality of food that's being produced in Syracuse right now. I mean, over the past four years, I've, I've I mean, all of you have kind of come up in the last four years or popped up, but um, it's amazing to see. I don't know if there's ever been this much uh, passion for food in this city before. I, I think it's fantastic. And we all, the, the cool thing is that we all rely on each other. Yeah. You know? So like, I'll ask, if I have a question about wine, I'll ask Cody. Yeah. If I like, if we put a new pasta dish on the menu, I'll send Alex a text message and be like, Hey man, can you send me a cool pasta shape? Cause I, w- I want to do something new. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jared, like, you know, I ask about wine and ordering from him. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're all, we're all working together yeah. uh, cool. to, to kind of elevate things. Yeah. And just mm-hmm. having that community there is, is fantastic. Yeah. So if you're home and there's uh, not much in the fridge or let's say like you have a go-to thing that you make for yourself uh, for dinner, let's say, or for lunch or, or maybe breakfast. Cause you're probably at the restaurant for lunch and dinner. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so what is that go-to thing? I mean, I don't really eat breakfast. It's okay. cereal. <laughs> if, if I do eat breakfast, it's cereal. Yeah. Um, fried rice. Yeah. Fried rice has always been a thing. Like even for staff meal at restaurants that I've worked at. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Like they, one of the chefs that I worked for used to joke like, Oh, we're having fried rice again, but <laughs> it's, I think it's delicious. I can't think you know? of a, like, more tasty thing than like two day old rice that's then thrown in a skillet and crisped up and yeah and you get a, a nice like hard crispy crispy yeah. sear on it yeah man and add a couple of eggs and some soy sauce and like i don't care what else you put in there yeah it's it's gonna be good it's yeah. gonna be hearty and, and right. it'll fill you up it's uh oyster sauce for me i yeah. love freaking oyster sauce yeah um okay yeah we're working on a fish sauce experiment i'm not sure how it's gonna really out yeah we got a we got an old um, a used barrel uh-huh. from Old Home Distillers, okay. and we're gonna try and ferment a bunch of fish in it. Mm. Wow! I'm not sure how well it's gonna work out because we <laughs> tried to make vinegar in one, and it had too much alcohol in it. Okay. It soaked too much alcohol out of the wood, so yeah. it ended up like preserving it basically. <laughs> uh, but we can now we can make a red wine base for something. And, That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually, it'll turn into vinegar. But it's just gonna take a long time. So, are there any local fish producers? Like not that from, I know of. From, yeah, that's wild. Um, from, I was kind of surprised. Too, like, there's nothing in the in the Great Lakes that I know of. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it's probably out there. I just don't know of it yet. Yeah. Yeah, that would be pretty interesting to to see if there was, or you know, maybe somebody will pop up someday and do it. But I just feel like there's so much, you know, especially some of the lo- lakes and whatever around here. There's so much amazing fish that 
that'd be pretty cool to be able to have something like that, you know, skinny Atlas lake trout or whatever on your menu. Yeah. I mean, I wish we were closer to the ocean. Yeah, for sure. Um, but we're the fish that we do get from Brown trading is pretty great. Is it? And I've had a relationship with them for 14 years, I think. Okay. So, yeah. Um, you know, they, they're the only ones that source that Vetalopama, the, the sustainable fish from Spain. Oh, okay. Uh, but we're also getting in like octopus, um, mm. a lot of main oysters, yeah. uh, bangs on mussels, which are great. Yeah. So mm. there's, there's some stuff out there that that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, and we try and source sustainably when we can. Yeah. Um, that's cool. Just not always possible. Yeah. Is there a favorite meal that stands out to you? Like a favorite restaurant experience of yours? There have been a couple, and I was actually talking with this about somebody the other day. Mm-hmm. So when I go to a restaurant, a restaurant like ours, you know, or, or a restaurant that I've heard about that like I would think would be worth a special trip, mm-hmm. I'm looking for that like, oh my God experience, that like, okay. I got to figure out how they did this, yeah. you know? And mm-hmm. that happened the first time I ate at Hen of the Wood. Okay. Uh, it was a rabbit leg. Mm-hmm. So... I, I bit into it, it had a crunchy skin on the outside. And then there was like this depth of flavor that like I'd never hmm. experienced before in meat. Yeah. And huh. I was blown away. I was like, I got to figure out how he did this. Yeah. So I bugged him for six months for a job. It's <laughs> 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 basically how that all went down. Yeah. Um, and then I figured out how he did it, which is, which is fantastic. It's all like brining. Yeah. Um, yeah. and the way that you cook the rabbit leg, actually, when I, when I went out to the tailor and the cook, mm-hmm to cook for Tim for like my tryout or my stage or whatever. Yeah. I did the same thing. Oh, I yeah. served him that. And he was like, <laughs> this is, I never thought about cooking a rabbit leg. Like this is yeah. fantastic. So, um, yeah, hmm. that was really cool. Um, that chef Sue that I worked for, for four and a half years, she cooked me one of the best meals of my life. It was hmm. simple parsnip ravioli, brown butter, hmm. but it was just so well executed yeah. that like I ate it and I was like, wow, man, I make this every day, but I had no idea it tastes this good. Yeah. And then there's moments at the restaurant too when I eat something that like one of the guys cooks and I'm like, man, this is good. Yeah. Like, and I'll, and I'll tell them, you're like, this is fucking good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, like we're putting out good food. So yeah. I, I get like really jazzed about it and that, that amps everybody up, you know, yeah. that raises the game. So, yeah. um, cool. it's, it's exciting. Yeah. Uh, Shelburne huh. farm, I had a great meal there too. Yeah. Um, yeah, actually the chef brought the food out to the table hmm. and the woman I was dining with was like should I eat this? Cause it just looked so beautiful. <laughs> like it was a, it was a bowl of radicchio with a salad in it and there were like chives crossed over the top. And she's like, I, I feel bad about eating this. This is so, so pretty. That's funny. Um, yeah. yeah. Huh. One of the best things I've, I've, I've had in like the last, uh, year, let's say is this, um, Oh hell, what was it? I, it so I do, it was the, what well, was that farm to fork, uh, dinner at Bailiwick. Oh, that, yeah. um, Oh, shit. what was that animal? It was the pate that she made. That, yeah, that was fantastic. Yak. That yep. yak pate. Yeah. That thing was freaking amazing. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah. I mean, I have to, I've never gone to that restaurant, that French place on the way to Skinny Atlas, just because I've, I forget the name of it, but um, I think it's called Joelle, maybe. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, I think yeah. that's correct. I've never gone there just because it, it seems kind of intimidating, you know, but. Um, but having tried that, I was like, oh my God. I mean, that was, that stuff was amazing. Um, yeah. Hmm. Well, Rich, thank you very much for being yeah. on the podcast. Thank you. And everybody listening, go to Eden. 
Well, there it is, everybody. Thank you so much for checking out the Eat Local CMY podcast. I mean this so much. Thank you so, 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 so much uh, for listening to the podcast. It means a lot that you take time out of your day to do so. Uh, If I could just ask two other favors. Hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to this on. If if the platform you're listening to this on has a subscribe button, then hit it. And uh, also leave us a review. Let us know what you think of the Local CMY podcast. That's the currency of podcasting is reviews. So give me a huge favor and just leave a review to let me know what you think of the Local CMY podcast. And from my family to yours, happy Thanksgiving.